We'll be reading Galatians 5, 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not entangle again with the yoke of bondage. I don't know of any person in the world who is in their right mind who doesn't want to be free. The issue is the proper understanding of what freedom is and what freedom is not. And unfortunately, some people's ideas of and their quest for freedom ultimately enslaves them. Jude warned this, Jude 3 and 4, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly Contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unwares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Peter said of such people, he said they promised liberty while they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome of the same he brought he is he brought in bondage the problem is people see liberty as entitlement i can do what i want without regard for the need of others or their rights because i am entitled to it that is one of the problems in the world today and if anyone believes satan is not taking advantage of that attitude They weren't paying attention to this past year especially. It was happening all over our nation, wasn't it? What's yours is mine, and you better give it to me. If I want it and I believe I need it, it ought to be provided to me. If you have it, I ought to have it too. You see, that's the problem with not understanding liberty or what freedom is. Here's another problem with that erroneous and misplaced belief. Entitlement does not free one from responsibility or consideration of others or of the limitation on our rights or from consequences. Freedom and liberty has all of those things combined within it. Imagine the chaos if everyone did what they wanted. When they wanted, how they wanted, just because they thought they were entitled to it. Now really, you don't have to imagine that. Go back and look at some archive news footage of what was going on in Portland and Seattle over the summer, right? That is because people have a skewed reality of what liberty and what freedom is. If we were sitting at a red light, a stop sign, or or going up a one-way street and someone decided it was their turn to go through the red light, or it was their turn to go through the stop sign, or they wanted to go up a one-way street that was according to the way they wanted to go, that would cause a problem, wouldn't it? Well, it does cause problems. What if you were out to lunch with your family or dinner, and, and someone came over with their family or their friends, and they decided they want what you had at that moment, and you had to get up and leave because it was their liberty or their freedom because they were entitled to it? 
You see, if you have a skewed idea of what liberty and freedom is, and you believe you're entitled, well, that messes everybody's liberty and freedom up, right? Would you believe there are folks out there who have even gone so far as they have stopped working and they rely on others to provide for them? Well, of course you would not be shocked. It happens every single day and it continues to happen, right? They claim the freedom of entitlement. I saw in the news not too awfully long ago uh, where a group of folks attacked the homes of then Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and, and House Leader Nancy Pelosi in their respective cities and they threw uh, fake blood on their homes and they wanted to know where those stimulus checks were because they were entitled to them. Who said they were entitled to anything? Get a job. Do your work. Look, that isn't what liberty is. It isn't entitlement, nor is it license. We need to understand what liberty is. We need to understand what freedom is. Real freedom recognizes others have rights and needs. Brother Curtis Cage used to tell us all the time, our freedom ends where another person's nose begins, right? That's exactly what it is. We can swing our arms around as wide as we want. We have that freedom. But when we hit someone in the face, we cannot blame them for not ducking. That is not our freedom, right? Former coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Tom Landry, once said this, Most successful football players not only accept rules and limitations, but I believe they need them. Players are free to perform at their best only when they know what the expectations are, where the limits stand. I see this as biblical principle that also applies to life, a principle our society as a whole has forgotten. You can't enjoy true freedom without limits. Listen, he retired in the early 80s. This is 2021. You think that applies today? Absolutely. You know, our nation fought an impressive war from 1939 to 1945, not in the sense of something wonderful, but impressive in magnitude. World War II was fought in three theaters on three fronts, the European front, the African front, and the Pacific front. Now, the African front was kind of sucked up into the European front, but two, at least two massive fronts, Right? It was amazing what happened there. The scale was astonishing of what went on. Why was that war fought all in the name of liberty and freedom? Do you know almost 419,000 military and civilian people gave their lives in that war on the Allied side? All to maintain the liberty we enjoy, not just for our nation, but for the world over? If that hadn't have happened, would be speaking German or Japanese right now? You know, I read as I was looking at this sermon, the liberation of the, of the camps throughout uh, the German-occupied areas. The Russians would go in, the, Britons, the Brits would go in, and the Americans would go in, and the things they saw in those concentration camps was abominable. It was terrible, the things they saw. They would go in and they would see emaciated people that looked like walking skeletons. 
They were so starved that, that without knowing they would begin to give them food and they would begin to, get, uh, uh, to eat it so quickly they would get sick to their stomachs and begin to throw up because they, they hadn't had food in so long. They began to ask for cigarettes and some of the, some of the soldiers handed them cigarettes and then they began to, 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 light, to help them light the cigarettes and they, but they were tearing the paper off and eating the tobacco because they were starving? Because they were given a little liberty that they hadn't had in so long? Those people were worthy of death that were doing those things to those folks. You know, this morning I want us to consider the importance of liberty. And the title of the sermon is The Stewardship of Liberty. Now, the stewardship of liberty, that's what we really want to focus on. But we want to consider liberty provided for us, not by by our brave military, but by one man, Christ Jesus. The passage before us this morning exhorts the Christian to be a good steward of gospel liberty, meaning the Christian is to care for it properly. We have to understand that word liberty and how we care for it, right? To do that, the Christian is to stand fast. That means he is to be faithful. That's our first point. He is to be faithful. Now what does that mean? To, be, to stand fast or to be faithful requires two things. First, you have to stand. That means commitment. That means commitment. To uphold the true, the true doctrine of Christ. Um, if we're going to do that, we have to be committed to it, right? We have to be committed to it. That means that we have to stand in it. We have to stand up for it. Never back down. So many in the world claim Christ as their own and they are not willing. They are not willing to stand for anything. It's almost as if they test the air to see which way the wind's blowing. Right? Reminds me of uh, uh, most politicians. Right? But here's what we have to understand. If we're going to stand for the doctrine of Christ, that means sometimes we have to stand alone. We have to stand alone. We remember Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. They stood alone, didn't they? They stood alone in front of the whole of Israel, in front, in front of the whole of Babylon, Daniel eight twenty five. They were not going to bow down to the terrible image that Nebuchadnezzar created. Daniel would not stop praying to the true God of heaven, Daniel chapter 6. It didn't matter what decree that Darius signed. It didn't make any difference that the windows were open into his home and that the princes of Babylon were watching him and had set him up He was going to pray to the God of heaven. It didn't make any difference and he stood alone. But he was standing. He was committed. And he was faithful. Jesus was arrested in the garden because the disciples fled and he stood alone. But he stood. He walked to Calvary alone to accept the punishment. Do you know why they picked Simon out of the crowd to help him carry the cross because Peter wasn't standing beside him. Because Matthew wasn't standing beside him. Because the other apostles weren't standing beside him. They had to get Simon and help him carry the cross. But he stood because he was committed. There's a second part to standing fast. That word fast. Consistency. That's consistency. 
One stands for the same thing day in and day out. We might say thick and thin, right? That is consistency. The Christian will always stand up for the sanctity of life, whether uh, it's, an, it's a person who, who the world deems has outlived his usefulness or her usefulness, or whether it's the unborn baby, whether we're talking about the sanctity of marriage, whether we're talking about any other thing, you pick it, whether it's Monday or Saturday. It is consistency. Whether it's our friends from this area or our friends from that area, it's our in-laws or outlaws, it doesn't matter who it is, we are going to be consistent, right? Just because a person can no longer contribute to society in a physical way, concretely with their hands, does that mean we're going to incorporate euthanasia and get rid of them? You know, there is a faction in our society that says, yes, we're going to do that. We just simply cannot afford to keep them up any longer. Really? I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I think that is inconsistent with what the Bible teaches. God believes that person still has value, and we strive to be like God more and more each day. Peer pressure has no place when it comes to biblical truth. And we can't give in to it. There's a difference between allowing nature to take its course, right? And euthanizing someone. There's a big difference in that. The problem is the world does not like consistency in religion. And here's another problem. It recognizes inconsistency in the person who claims to be religious, right? If one stands fast and is consistent in their views, here's what the world will not do. They will not tolerate that person. Have you heard of the cancel culture? I've read a little bit about that. I've kind of just ignored the news. I've kind of quit watching it. But they want to cancel that person. Well, they can do what they want to. The Christian is going to be consistent. They're going to be consistent. Now, the person, some person might agree with you. Oh, no, we're not going to euthanize my mother or my father. Well, that's outrageous. I wouldn't do that for one second. But then they want to uh, kill an unborn child. Well, I, uh, here's what uh, God thinks about the unborn child. When sisters Elizabeth and, and uh, Mary greeted each other, Mary obviously pregnant with the Lord Jesus, Elizabeth pregnant with his first cousin John, who... Uh, prepared the way for him. Luke one forty one. it said of Elizabeth's child, the babe leaped in her womb. The baby recognized, right? The baby recognized something. Wasn't born yet. Paul told the Galatians to be consistent in their beliefs and their teachings, right? They were being inundated with those who would pollute the gospel of Christ. They were adding things to it. Paul said, don't do that. We have to be consistent with our teachings. And it's not just uh, abortion and euthanasia. It's not just homosexuality. There's a whole Bible full of doctrine in which we have to be consistent. He warned them this. Notice Galatians 1 beginning verse 6. A marvel, marvel that you're so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, then uh, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, 
If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. To be a good steward of liberty, to watch over it, and to protect our freedom, one must be faithful. Period. Then Paul spoke of the freedom found in liberty. And he pointed first to the provider, wherewith Christ hath made us free. Right? Christ is the author of our salvation. And being made perfect, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. Hebrews 5, 9. Christ is the provider of liberty and freedom. That means He gave us that liberty in which we are able to to stand. Without Him, we wouldn't have it. It wouldn't be possible. It wouldn't be here. He gave it to us as a free gift of His love. He didn't have to do it, but He wanted to do it, right? Paul explained why Jesus provided the world with the opportunity to avoid hell. Free of charge. Didn't cost us anything, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It is paramount, one, to understand what Paul intended, and to do that we have to allow the Bible to explain itself, right? We have to do that. Notice what James said. He talked of faith and works. He said this. Let's go over to James chapter 2 beginning with verse 17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou, vain man, that faith without works is dead. Either works are involved or they are not. Works are involved. There's no doubt about it, but not the kind of works that would allow a person to boast of their salvation. There are no works involved that says, I saved myself. And that's what Paul's talking about, right? The works involved are the works of God. God says, I'm going to give you a free gift, but you've got to do this to attain it. That's the work involved. We can do all kinds of things, but we can't earn our salvation. That's what Paul's talking about, right? It's just like inheriting uh, a fortune if someone passes away. The lawyer says, hey, calls you up, your long-lost uncle that you didn't know you had, has left you $10 million, but you've got to drive over to wherever. It's going to take you three days to get there. You're going to have to come to the lawyer's office. We're going to have to drive down to somewhere else, take us a couple days to get there. We're going to walk in. We're going to sit there for four hours. We're going to have to listen to this guy talk about it for six. And then you're going to get the money. You're going to wish you didn't have to do that. But then you're going to get the money. You didn't earn it, by the way. You still, it was a gift. But you have to do these steps. You're going to feel like you run over by a train by the time it was over. But it was a gift. You didn't do a thing to earn it. It was a gift. But if you don't do these things, 
you won't get it. Now, people can understand that, can't they? But they can't understand this other thing in the religious world. That's what's amazing, isn't it? Salvation is a gift. But you have to do certain things, certain conditions attached to it. Not a single person is able to take credit for God's plan of salvation. That's the whole point. He says, hath made us free. Now that's one word in the Greek. Liberty is one word in the Greek. They're two different words. Freedom and liberty. They mean the same thing. And if you look at the definition, they say the same thing. So let's understand this a little closer. Freedom and liberty. We are to be stewards of our liberty or our freedom that we gained in our freedom, right, that Jesus gave us. It's basically the same thing. Misunderstanding of liberty. A misunderstanding of freedom. And if we look at it in the context of what we see in our everyday lives, of how people misunderstand liberties that we have as citizens of this great nation. I can go out and I can do whatever I want to. I can burn the local dealership down because I'm irritated at the government. No, you can't. You don't have a right to do that. You ought to go to jail for that. You ought to go to jail for burning someone's house down because you disagree with the government. That's against the law, friend. Someone looks at the Bible and they say, Liberty. I have liberty in Christ. I can believe whatever I want to believe. I can do whatever I want to do, spiritually speaking, and I have liberty in Christ. That's not what the Bible teaches. We are to have proper stewardship over our liberty. We are to guard and to protect our liberty. Why? Go down to verse 4 of our text. Galatians chapter 5. So I don't lose it. Because I can lose that liberty. They were polluting their liberty. Remember chapter 1? That's what he was talking about. They were polluting their liberty. They were polluting the gospel. See, what people think is, I have liberty in Christ. As long as I believe in Him, I can do what I want to. No, our liberty gives us freedom. Not freedom to do whatever I want to. Freedom from sin. Freedom from living any way I want to live in this world. Doing anything I want to in this world to please myself. Freedom from living like Satan and his children. That's what it gives me freedom from and liberty from. It's just like living in this world here under our laws. Liberty gives me freedom from burning my neighbor's home down and there being no consequences. Because that man has freedom. And I have to understand that. So I have to guard my freedom so I don't lose my freedom in Christ. I have liberty from sin. Paul wants us to understand that. He has made us free because he's the provider. But why is he a provider? Because he paid the price. He paid the price. That's past tense, right? He paid the price. Hath made us free. The penalty of sin was paid on our behalf. Paul was very clear on what that penalty was. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6, 23, there it is. It's a gift of God again. The Bible can't be more clear. God made provision so humanity wouldn't have to pay that penalty personally. And He is righteous and just for doing that because the penalty was paid. That's why He's righteous and just for us being able to live because Christ paid that. That is the liberty offered, the one wherewith He hath made us free from the bondage of sin. Finally, Paul ends his statement in Galatians 5.1 with a warning in the form of fear. That's our final point, fear. He did not want them to repeat the former life they lived. Don't go back, and there's always a danger in returning to a life of sin and losing the salvation gained. That's a very real fear. That's something we ought to consider, right? Christ's gospel doesn't need any additions to it. That's what the Galatians were missing, right? It doesn't need any help. It doesn't need anything added to it. God knows what He wants to accomplish and He has accomplished it. That's where the religious divisions in the world come in. People think God needs a little help. Let's return to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul addressed their their denominating into factions, right? And he rebuked them for it. Notice what he said uh, beginning with verse 10. He said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me that, uh, my brethren, by them that are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. See, that was a rhetorical question. Paul didn't go to the cross for you. You weren't baptized in the name of Paul. What are you doing? Why are you denominating yourself? You trying to add a little something to the gospel? You trying to make it better? You remember after God promised Abram a a son? And obviously Abram agreed with Sarai that maybe it was taking a little too long. That God wasn't holding up his end of the bargain. And so they wanted to help him. You remember the heartache and the division in that home that caused? God doesn't need our help. He doesn't need any assistance from people. He has it figured out. He doesn't need any of that. He needs the world to simply do what He has asked them to do. And the Bible tells us what that will be. And there's going to be a result from that, one way or the other, right? If we steward our liberty properly, we will be rewarded with heaven. If not, here's the bottom line. People who do not steward their liberty properly... They will not go to heaven. And they will be punished in hell. Now many will condemn that as harsh. There's going to be a lot of folks that say, there you go, there's that hateful 
mean, unloving God. Really? It's an open book test. He gave us the answers. All we have to do is look at it. That's pretty merciful. That's pretty lenient, isn't it? It isn't harsh if you've been warned. If we've been told how to get to heaven, all we have to do is do it. That seems quite easy to me. God has provided the liberty. He has placed the Christian steward over it. A steward is to care for it properly. That's what Paul's talking about. And that means understanding what liberty is and what liberty isn't. Liberty is full of restriction. That is what makes it beautiful. That is why and what makes it protective, the restriction added to it. God wants us to get to heaven, but we have to do it through the liberty that Christ gave us to be free, free from sin. You need to answer the Lord's invitation this hour. You feel like you need to come back through, through repentance and confession of sin, prayer. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.